This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from the perspectives of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Top story today is the impeachment investigation continues. There have been a few people who have testified behind closed doors. Yesterday, the big news was Fiona Hill, who was a top Russian counselor to the National Security Council. And she supposedly, or I think this is uh, for sure, she stepped down from her position voluntarily before the call with between Trump and the president of Ukraine that seems to be at the center of this impeachment scandal. But word has it that she testified that Bolton prompted her to complain about what Trump and his gang was up to, saying that Giuliani and his cronies, Sondland and Mulvaney, I think in particular, were cooking up some drug deal, I think is the, That's the term metaphor that he used. Yeah. <laughs> is it? He said he wasn't and- going to be a part of the drug deal Giuliani was cooking up. Cute, especially since Giuliani was like the guy who fought that stuff in New York. Yeah. Supposedly. I believe he just cleaned out the Italians for the Russians, to be honest. But (laughs) anyway, and he also said that Giuliani was going to uh, be a hand grenade that blew everybody up, you know, (laughs) like they're all in cahoots and somebody's being stupid. Yeah. So that she was the one from yesterday. And before that, the other two were Kurt Volker, who was the former special envoy to the Ukraine, and uh, Yovanovitch, who was the ambassador, I guess the ambassador after Jeffrey Pyatt, who we've talked about as orchestrating the coup with Victoria Nuland. So I guess she was his successor. But today, somebody showed up by the name of George Kent. Do you know George Kent? I do not. All right. He is currently... The Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. He was appointed about a year ago last September. And prior to that, he was Deputy Chief of Mission in Kiev from 2015 to 2018. So that was a very critical period. We did the coup in 2014. That's when people started moving in. Biden, Biden's. Yeah. His way started midwifing. Yes, exactly. So this guy was post-midwife. Biden was midwifing in 2014. And he, so I'm looking at, I'm trying to figure out who this guy is because he looks kind of mm, dramatic. He wears a bow tie. I always think that's like a little over the (laughs) top. That's a signal of something. Yes. So I was like, let me scratch the surface on this guy. And what his bio says is all this stuff about him being a senior anti-corruption coordinator and his whole his whole MO has been corruption and anti-corruption on a kind of international basis. And I had seen his name. I went back to one of the articles that I was using to try to piece together what really happened in Ukraine. And as I'm sure you recall, I talked about this ANTAC, anti-corruption operation in Ukraine that was basically a joint venture between vulgar young Ukrainian activists, the United States federal government, and George Soros. So you remember that. Yeah. And then the one of the items that I mentioned was that the prosecutor wasn't going after the Burisma guy. He was going after the ANTAC people. 
he was investigating Antec. He was saying that the U.S. funds were being diverted to this group, and he thought it was, I don't know if he thought it was um, not on the up and up or illegal or what, I don't know. But I had mentioned that we sent the word, stop looking into Antac. Well, the word was sent in the form of a letter by George Kent. Wow. So, yeah, so this guy, George Kent, was in on the don't – he's – so I really think that I'm uncovering a method where they use this anti-corruption stuff to target – like, say everybody in the whole world is corrupt, all Republicans, all Democrats, all of the equivalents of Republicans and Democrats in all the countries in the world. Let's just say that they are all corrupt. Yeah. As you go in and switch them out with your guys, you get to chase the other guys out of town, put them in jail, and steal all their stuff. So yeah. that's the idea, right? So if that's what is – if I'm really looking at something like that, then these guys who are high up in the anti-corruption racket are really – Doing that kind of fighting who for who gets the spoils. That's why every time I talk about like Malaysia or Ukraine or any place, even Russia, where you're like, oh, the one side is is going after the other side for bad reasons. And then I'll always get really sincere and I'm sure accurate emails from people who know firsthand information saying, no, the target of these investigations is a totally corrupt guy. I'm like, yeah, I know that, <laughs> but yeah. so are the people who are investigating yeah. them. And what are they doing it for? Uh, somebody sent me an article the other day, which I read and retweeted an excerpt from, which said African countries who are full of these puppets that we put in place or you put in place and you want to take them out later, whatever. We Some of these anti-corruption operations that I've talked about, Soros-based, U.S.-based, this public-private partnership for international asset seizure – <laughs> have gone into Africa and and seized some of the assets and the Africans who have no leg to stand on because a lot of times these guys got their positions and their gains in ill-gotten ways. They say, we never see the money again. You come in, you tell, you bust this corrupt guy, you take the money, and we don't see it again. And then the counter, the a answer to that is, well, if we gave it back to you, you would just absorb it in your corruption again it's like yeah but why do you get it yeah you know like that's the question why do you get it so i i wonder if that's some of what down yes exactly and and another part of this like what what makes this even more interesting or serious is as i click through or investigate the the titles of the organizations that are referred to in some of these stories, like in the George Kent letter to the assistant prosecutor, I guess they were between prosecutors in Ukraine at the time, the one that they ran out of town for not investigating Burisma and the new guy who is now described as Trump's favorite prosecutor, Lutsenko. The first guy was Shokin, and that, I believe, is the guy who Biden called a solid guy. So if you're not paying attention to the actual surnames, and they are not usually in the headlines, you're, it's a very confusing story. <laughs> but as Kent wrote this art, this letter, he refer, he said, this is all completely legal under these uh, one organization. He rattles off a few organizations. One is the International Development and Law Organization, which he cites as like a legal the the legal parameters for under which the U.S. can distribute this money in Ukraine. That's what they didn't like. They didn't like that the U.S. is funding these rabble-rousers, I guess. So I looked up the International Development and Law Organization, uh, IDLO, 
and and it's it's so fascinating because it's let me just read it says okay our mission is we work to enable governments empower people and strengthen institutions to realize justice, peace, and sustainable development. <laughs> we do not champion law for law's sake. Do not champion law for law's sake, which I actually, I think that you might should if you want an objective rule of law scenario. If we promote well-functioning courts, we also strive to make them accessible. For, help, for us, helping draft a national constitution means giving a voice to the rural widow The same emphasis on the end user informs IDLO's record on commercial law, intellectual property, environmental, every other area. It says uh, IDLO is the only intergovernmental organization exclusively devoted to promoting the rule of law. They say that, but then they discount it in the next paragraph. Governments, multilateral organizations, private foundations, and the private sector support our work. Uh, It goes on and on. They work with the UN, but this is so much like these the kleptocracy asset recovery program, the democracy integrity initiative that we were talking about over the past week or two, as these public private, they call themselves governmental and they're financed in part by governments, but they're also financed by people like Soros who are really, I feel like these, these institutions are kind of a, what, was foreseen by Brzezinski in the crisis of democracy, where he says democracy is a problem, transparency is a problem, empowering the individual is a problem. You need to make sure that everybody comes under the umbrella of an institution where they do not have a an equal say. That's basically where it came out. And that's when NGOs started arising, when he wanted corporations, universities, labor unions, all these things to have real power and influence over their constituents. And then they could be controlled from the top. And I feel like we're not going for an all-out world government with laws and a military and a police force. Like, that's just too hard to do. So this reminds me of like a different version of the of the World Economic Forum stuff that I look at, the Bosch Foundation, the UN, all the, like these big institutions that think tanks, policy places that work towards what they call world governance. And this is actually putting the laws in place and getting people to sign up for model laws. And and these things are not anything that has to do with like, we don't see it. They don't vote on it. And he also, George Kent, referred in the short letter to, like, an action plan. And I think he might have been talking about a U.S.-Ukraine action plan. But I found a Ukraine-EU action plan from 2016. It had, like, 500 bullet points in it about how to move Ukraine over to adopting EU laws down to, I think, Article 467 or something I tweeted was about how to encourage people to engage in physical exercise and not use tobacco. I mean, it's, it's real. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like when you're going into Ukraine, you just, you know, they, you just ran their government out of town and you're getting down to that level of nitty gritty about how to completely restructure local governments. It was all in there. I tweeted it, this action thing. So, I just I feel like the George Kent thing was just a way for me to have a, a view into the window 
of how these guys are really operating behind the scenes. Big organizations, international think tanks, international policy initiatives that are actually being implemented by U.S. government officials. Yeah. So they're paying for this anti-corruption thing, this ANTAC thing in Ukraine, and they're referring to this international think tanky law thing as the legitimizing framework where they're allowed to use to dispense our aid money. I mean, I just I think it's this thing is really you could write a book about it. It's nuts the way that these international organizations like Transparency International and the whistleblower laws, how they have so much. I mean, it's not nuts. It's it's known, but just how it has they have so much influence and power over the world law and the way that they kind of backdoor it in. They why I think that is is that we're not aware of it. Yeah, yeah they it, it they just we don't see. That's what they're doing. And the U.N. treaty, while, while it's in a way not not enforceable, they can't enforce their laws here. Like we have to sign on to their protocols, like the handgun ban and all that. We have to sign on to it. They, they do still conform to it. And when you have something like Trump pulls out of the Paris Accord and then all the mayors of America go directly to the U.N. and yeah. ask for their marching orders, that's a – I mean, it's an end run for sure around the Constitution, but but they're doing it in other countries. I mean, this this uh, the object of this institution is to rewrite other constitutions. Yeah, and I bet no, I never even heard of this before in my life. the The International Development Law Organization never heard of it before in my life. Yeah, I and never heard of it either. Right, and that and so this is George Kent. Who knows what he'll say? I'm sure it's just a pile of steaming rubbish <laughs> uh okay did you see who that you mentioned the name earlier did you see who had at least i heard this person referred to as a as a whistleblower yesterday bolton yeah yeah i was saying i you know i have to give credit where credit is due my brother told me a couple of weeks ago or a week or two ago that michael savage said that john bolton he was sure john bolton was the whistleblower and then it looked like he wasn't because they called a, the whistleblower a CIA agent. Yeah. And I thought, okay, so if if Savage is wrong, I'm going to think he's like an outsider and maybe believe him more. Yeah. But if he's right, I'm going to think he's an insider and believe him less. It's like a paradox. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so as it, so I so when I immediately the next thing I saw about Bolton, I tweeted, I was like, oh, he is the whistleblower. But uh, we'll see how it. Maybe it'll be ambiguous yeah you know i also listened to the lindsey graham one of the lindsey graham prank calls oh did yeah. you remember that so I... the russian guy guys pranked lindsey graham so first i want to say just like what the update is on syria right now syria uh so last i read this morning like at that moment, this moment in time, Turkey was being quiet and the Kurds had made an alliance with Syria, Syria, like Syria proper, the legitimate sovereign, the forces of the sovereign government, was moving up to, back into northern Syria in places they haven't been in years to support the Kurds. And Russia is saying to Turkey, don't come too far over the border. You have no right to do that and we don't like it. So now, if, if, 
Russia or Syria fires on Turkish forces, Turkey is a NATO ally. So it's quite possible that that would give us an excuse they would use to go to war and say we're we're we ha- we are uh, obliged by treaty to defend Turkey. I mean, any war in NATO is going to be like a world war, I would assume, because everybody in NATO is supposed to come, I think, to each other's aid. I would think so, and they they appear to be setting up some sort of conflict that I thought it would, might be further down the road, but it might. I know. It might be a little closer than we anticipated. Well, the Lindsey Graham conversation, it was very interesting to me. I only heard the first one. I can't wait to listen to the rest of them. It was quite long. I thought it was short. I I listened to about 10 or 15 minutes, but it was like at least a half an hour. But it was good. I mean, it was great. And it makes me think Lindsey Graham is more intelligent than he appears. He just seems to always have the talk about, yeah, like I I don't know. I, I don't have his... Number quite, but I mean, I, I, he's obviously warmongering shill. Like, there's no question about that. Yeah. There was never any question about that. But, but he does seem to put the words together himself. Uh, anyway, so this is what happened. The guy calls up. He says he's like some minister from Turkey, and they start the upshot of the whole thing was first of all just a couple of side things. First, Lindsey Graham says. The YP allying, I told Obama that an alliance with the YPG Kurds was a huge mistake. And by coincidence, so this happened in August, this phone call. I believe it was this morning, or maybe I just read it this morning, but I did see this morning a headline that said, Trump blames Obama for Kurdish alliance. So I guess Uh, now that it's out there, he can use it. Yeah. And then, oh, you saw that? I saw that too. Yeah. Okay, so it was today. And and I think it's because this call came out that they could take it that that direction. Uh, they're just going to make lemonade. Then <laughs> yeah. the, the guy, the Russian pranksters say, oh, Gulan, which is this like Turkish guy, maybe a U.S. operative. I don't know. He's in a jail here. And I think Turkey wants him to string him up by his toenails. Or maybe they like him, but I don't think they like him. I think we like him. And he said, hey, how about a little quid pro quo here? (laughs) And Graham said, no, 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 no. I don't want to get the president in trouble. We don't do that kind of horse trading. So that was circumspect of Graham. Anyway, but the meat of the call was this. Lindsey Graham says, okay, Turkey keeps taking delivery of this Russian missile system, the S-400 missile system. And... We don't like that, and it interferes with our F-35 program with Turkey. We we would like to we would like them to stop with the S-400 and start back with the F-35. But what we would really like, even above that, what would be even more important economically, would be a free trade agreement with Turkey. It stabilizes the region. When you intertwine your economies like that, everybody's happier. Your currency will be stronger. Clearly, it's a way that we control other people, according you know the way he was talking about it. But this was the interesting thing, the most interesting thing, in my opinion. The this S four hundred missile system is a Russian missile system that Turkey bought, and I guess is deploying slowly but surely. And recently, within the past month or so, came out announcing that it would go active or it would be activated. That was the key word in April of 2020. And what Lindsey Graham said in the August call was, once the S-400 is activated, our laws kick in and we will have to sanction Turkey and then we can't 
do anything else. There will be no deal to be made. So I feel like this plays into what's happening right now one way or another. Either we are giving them a foretaste of sanctions, so they step down from the S-400, or we have to sanction them anyway, so we're doing it now to make it look like it's on our terms and it's not a reaction to them defecting to the Russian side. Because Ukraine was like that. Ukraine made an economic alliance with Russia, and then that was it. These people are all on the run. But so they care about the economics. They don't like it when you make a deal with Russia. And if you do, they are willing to go in there and kill you. <laughs> so it's so interesting what you can glean from a prank phone call. Oh, honest truth. Any any hidden audio would be great. But who's going to leak it? Project Veritas. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. I do have a follow up, though, on this running people out of town on a rail. It kind of folds in both of the stories, Turkey with Russia, Ukraine um, with the, you know, the impeachment stuff, the George Kent stuff, the anti-corruption stuff, is that I was, I'm still trying to figure out exactly who Igor Furman and Lev Parnas are, the yeah. guys who were arrested for being in league with Giuliani. He is, was uh, being contracted by them for a company called Fraud Guarantee, which is obvious. <laughs> I know, right? We guarantee fraud. It's it was even when you go to the website, it's like obviously a shell company of some kind. They never filed any paperwork and they supposedly guarantee you against losses due to fraud. It's okay? called fraud guarantee. Fraud guarantee. And it's just funny because like the corruption angle really plays into the Democrat side of things. I hadn't seen it on the Republican side until now. And I did I I I pulled on those strings and I didn't really get anywhere on that. I think it really was just a front. I don't know. Uh, there's the biographical stuff on these guys is weird. This Lev Parnas is supposedly is reported to have been born in Ukraine in 1972. And he, uh, it says that, so he's born in 1972, I think. So he's 47. And it says that he works for Fred Trump, Trump's father, uh, yeah, but Trump's father was basically, from what I can tell, debilitated with Alzheimer's from 1993 till his death in 1999. So this guy would have to be 21 to have worked for Trump's father. That's hard to believe. But as I was investigating that, I found this Woody Guthrie song. Did you see that one? No. This is the story, that there's a Wooden Guthrie song that he never recorded that someone unearthed in 2016 in Guthrie's own handwriting that the lyrics are something like, oh, Trump, oh, Mr. Trump, do you know the kind of racial hatred you're stirring up in your housing projects? Oh, my God. About Fred <laughs> Trump? Yes. I, I cannot believe it's real because the it's just, maybe, you know, maybe. What anyway. did you say about Guthrie, that name? Woody Guthrie? Yeah, that name the folk reminds singer? me of Virginia Guthrie. Oh, the Jeffrey Epstein victim. I don't yeah. want to, not to uh, That's shift gears. That's Jeffrey. Yeah, okay. Jeffrey. So, but the the one. So one other little wrinkle about this guy, Lev Parnas, or is it Igor Furman? One of the, oh, Parnas signed up with this guy Dimitro Furtash as a translator. So now Lev Parnas is associated with Dimitri Furtash, who is a guy who is now was arrested in Austria. He's fighting extradition to this country. And similar to Zlochevsky from Burisma, he was in league with the old regime. 
the the regime that was run out of town by Victoria Newland, and he was the liaison with Gazprom, which I guess is the Russian gas company, the Ukraine-Russian liaison this guy was. I'm sure he has a ton of assets, but it just goes to, and this guy is really on the run. We're after him here. And it just goes to this idea that they're, that they just, if you're in the losing regime, it's kind of like a third world country or whatever. If you're in the losing regime, like they cut your head off. Like you have to win. You have to win or it's over for you. So it's so like this communist thing, Russia, the Russian yes, revolution. Yes, exactly. And and it's just, I, I don't know, this all seems to me to have the kind of two-sided feeling to it, like that in the three-dimensional game of chess, it's in the second dimension where it's still like two warring factions fighting for the cash, fighting for the assets over the other side. So there is a Democrat arm with all that anti-corruption stuff through legal channels, Soros, international organizations, public-private partnerships. And then there's these kind of two-bit operators. These guys are connected to Israel. I don't know if that plays in at all, if there is like a whole different faction that comes from there. I don't think so, but uh, I don't know. I don't, it seems to me like there are really two sides at this level here. And, uh, and I just think these are some names to look out for, for Tash, this George Kent guy, you won't hear any of the real story on him. For Tash, these are some names that, like you said, they're difficult to, at least for me anyway, to, uh, I, they can't. Oh, they spell, they're spelled all differently too. Yeah. You can't like it's Dimitri or Dimitro. Like, there's a bunch of different ways to spell it. I have two also quick hits, if you want to. Go for it. All right. One is, um, so they said, what woman is the Democratic frontrunner and she's not even running? <laughs> Surely you heard this one. Hillary Clinton. I thought Stacey Abrams. Oh, they didn't, uh, they didn't give you a specific name? It is. It's Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama. Okay. Yeah, she's the front runner. You know, I can see Michelle Obama being a, a great candidate for the Democrats, but I just don't think that she's going to run. Uh, I don't think so either, although she would be a great candidate. She's really very polished, and she has a fan base and all that kind of stuff. She really could do it. Maybe she will. She really could. She really could. Anyway. What do you think about – do you think Hillary Clinton is going to run, or do you think she's just trying to sell her book? Hey, I – I think she's going to run the way I thought Biden would run. So you don't think she's going to run? Well, I mean, but I don't even, it's so comical now that you can't like assess things like, oh, well, could she win? Would she want to run? Would anybody put money? It's this, it's just this play, right? Yeah. It's an, it's a theatrical production yeah. where the author's pen can create a whole scene, you know, a whole imaginary world out of nothing. Right. So you can't anticipate the next scene because it bears no relationship to the the classic plot lines you yeah. just have to wait and see. It's just needless drama. Yeah. So anyway, uh, actually, I have two more. The hunter Bi hunter Biden said he didn't do anything wrong, and he said that Don Jr. is like Prince Humperdinck from Princess Bride. Oh, so I guess nice. they're just bringing this down to the Jerry Springer level. That's exactly what they're doing. I know. I knew you said that too. It's like they're just. I'd like to see Jerry Springer moderate. A debate. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Of the kids, of the children. Yeah. Of all, so it should be like Heinz and Biden and the Trumps. That would be good. You all right, the last which has thing. the better yeah. family. Family feud. There you go. <laughs> Jerry Springer should moderate family feud <laughs> between the Bidens and the Trumps. That would be pretty fun. Loser goes to prison. 
Yes, the loser. That would be good, too. That's not going to happen. You're right, probably. This is all about keeping the Bidens out of prison. So the last thing is, it really, the reason I wanted to get to it today is that it related to the what we were talking about yesterday about Gates and just like not only yeah. needing to control assets, but needing to make sure other people do not control assets. And I've noticed this in Europe over the past probably 100 years. I mean, haven't personally observed it, but I believe that what I see and even maybe the beginning of the revolutions, the anti-monarchical movements that they say was started by the Illuminati, if you want to think of it that way, the idea behind that was like these were these powerful families who had some sense of nationality and some sense of intergenerationality because their children would have their heads on the block if they weren't good rulers. So there was some sense about monarchy. But they had a lot of wealth. They controlled everything. They got the taxes. They had the land. Same thing with the church. So the story behind the Illuminati, I think, I could be wrong, is that they didn't like that. They set up a many hundreds of years plan, starting with the revolutions, the French Revolution, all that, to eliminate that stuff. And even today, you can see with financial crises, I was aware of one kind of had a personal connection to a rich guy in Europe who was in the same situation as a well-connected institution. And when the financial crisis came down, they were both in dire straits. That He was allowed to fail, and the other guy was bailed out. And not only was, allowed to, was he allowed to fail, he was brought up on charges for malfeasance, which he didn't do, and he would never do. But Regardless, it didn't matter because what he was doing was absolutely no different, if not better than what the other guys were doing, for sure. But the other institution was controlled by the state, by the cabal. It was it was in that. Whereas he was like an independent person with a lot of money who had values and that kind of thing. So I see so I've seen it there, I've seen it in Europe, I've seen it in the past and in the current and so when I was looking at this Purdue Sackler patriarch, whatever, Purdue Pharmacy, one of the most, the richest con- families in the country, the guy died in his 90s today or yesterday. And the Sacklers are are really, I don't know if they'll be able to keep any of their wealth, but they certainly are being driven into the ground by the government. Whereas J&J, Johnson Johnson, will end up on its feet. It's not going to go into bankruptcy because of this, I don't think. But this company is. And I can't help but feel that they they just need to get they can't have independent power bases, people worth billions of dollars from Chick-fil-A to Papa John's. They just don't want people who are not aligned out there with billions and billions of dollars. Now, I looked at to what their politics were, the Sackler family, and they seem to contribute equally to Democrats and Republicans, which makes complete sense when you're big pharma, you know. But I just, I feel like if there was anything really there, it's that. And then as, oh, I hope I have the time for this one little thing, a little bit over, but I'm going to do it. Uh, so I was looking into it and I found on uh, Truth Out, one thing they said, like, as I was reading this article, it said, if you're worried about the opioid epidemic, then you should be working towards a single payer healthcare solution. I'm like, okay, so they're bringing that. They're still trying to convert Obamacare to single payer. I think they're succeeding. I think they will succeed. But then there's this big ad in the middle of the article. You can't avoid it. It's in a box. And here's the headline of the ad. The, the last word of the ad is donate now. The first, the headline is hate racists 
you'll want to read this. Okay. <laughs> do you hate racist, Binkley? Because if you do, of course, gonna... I got to read that. Okay, you're allowed to hate. Only you're only allowed to hate haters, though. Okay, Donald Trump and the GOP have doubled down on their campaign of hate and destruction. It's not difficult to see that we all have to do more to stop it before it's too late. That's why we're announcing our Make a Racist Cry campaign. (laughs) Where every dollar you give to Truth At will go directly to our ongoing efforts to make racists cry. Because if there's anything a racist hates, it's fearless journalism. Oh, my God. Says 1.3 million people read Truth Out last month. If every one of you chipped in a few bucks, we'd all be swimming in racist tears. Imagine that. Wow. Click the donate button and make a racist cry today. Let's make a racist cry. That sounds like an indivisible email. Isn't that great? Swimming in tears because everyone hates haters. It's liberal tears <laughs> on the right, and it's racist tears on the left. Everybody's I mean, swimming in tears. Don't you get how... Like ironic it is that their that their their campaign is to hate haters. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, like hate, the hate is you can only hate hater. Hate's okay if you hate haters. Well, who are haters? They're the people we hate. Yeah, they're the ones <laughs> you're supposed to round up and put in pages. It's <sighs> really funny. Anyway, that's, that's all I got. Oh wait, is it? Is it? Share the show Tuesday. It is share the show Tuesday. It is share the show Tuesday. Please share the show on all of your social media and pick one special person who you feel needs to get a little news, but gets too apoplectic at the mainstream media BS. They can take it. Trust me. Drive them to the drive time news blast. Yes. Find that special person in your life. And share the <laughs> hey, this music. Report. Thank you, JJ Boogie. This music is perfect for the Wonderful. special person on share the show Tuesday. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. on the or your favorite podcasting platform with the propaganda report podcast. Feed. We will talk to y'all tomorrow.